Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. It's our second show we've uh, recorded since taking our winter break. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's going to be uh, a good show with Brian Lagunas. But there is something we really need to talk about, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we lost right. a good friend over this break. Yeah, and an extraordinary teacher of developers. Yeah, Scott Allen. Yeah. I was shocked to see that... Uh, that he had he had left this earth. Uh, I was amazed at his remarkable recovery after uh, some heart surgery and a heart attack. He really uh, he cleaned up his diet. I know that, and he focused on being healthy. So it really came as a shock. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those unfortunate things, and I know no details. The only thing I can tell you is, uh, you know, the uh, I'll provide a link to the to the obituary. The the hundreds of comments in the guest book says a lot about who he was yeah he was a, an amazing human and a great teacher so uh rest in peace scott yeah, and thanks for everything you did yeah all right now on to less heavy topics let's roll that crazy music for better noah framework awesome <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? Our good friend, Joel Hewlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Appy Nexter turned saliencer. He uh, has developed and published a workshop on Azure, and it's Azure Cosmos DB IoT Solution Accelerator. Wow. And this is a essentially a document that's on GitHub that has all the projects, and it has a walkthrough, and and it helps you, um, walks you through the whole process of doing this project. So check it out. This is what it says. This accelerator helps you quickly build a solution that uses Azure Cosmos DB to ingest streaming telemetry from your IoT devices. The documentation and starter artifacts help you create a near real-time analytics pipeline built on Azure Cosmos DB, Azure Functions, Event Hubs, Azure Databricks, Azure Storage, Azure Stream Analytics, Power BI, Azure Web Apps, and Logic Apps. Sounds like Joel, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of stuff. He's such an underachiever. Yeah, I don't yeah, know so. how. Yeah. You sure you left anything out there, Joel? I know. Yeah, I nice. know. It's, it's so cool. But, you know, this kind of thing, like, if you just want to dive in, learn any of these things. This is a great way to do it because you have a purpose, right? Right. And somebody's already done the hard work of figuring out yeah. how all these technologies work together. Yeah, that relationship, which ends up being the toughest bit, right? To really know how yep. what are the right pieces to put together. Good one. So that's my Better Know framework for today. Who's talking to us, Richard? Uh, I grabbed a comment off of show 1657. Nice. Which we did October of last year with Tim Corey, where we talked about client-side development in 2019. And I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about client-side development day today as well. And, yes, you know, Tim's are. a great teacher as well. You know, he, and he talked about .NET Core 3 and the new w version of WinForms WPF, that whole set of SDKs and, you know, how, you know, sort of emotions that people have around things. And he was really great in the comments responding to folks who wrote plenty of comments. I'm going to read this one from Bob who okay. says, am I crazy or did we skip over UWP? And I'm like, you know, those two things have nothing to do with each other, Bob. You may well be crazy, but, you know, we really didn't talk much about <laughs> UWP. <laughs> Is UWP a consideration for a new app, and when would it be the right choice? It almost seems like WPF is more universal than UWP, but one yeah. day Windows 10 will be the only version of Windows, right? Uh, which is hmm. a great and, and Tim went into a really he responded to this at the time and said yeah we did skip over it and he brought up the very valid point around the fact that UWP is different from version to version of Windows 10 and I think it's part of the reason it's right. so tough for folks to commit to UWP when you have to sort of assess well what features am I going to use depending on what version of Windows uh, 10 you're using which makes all of that right. so much harder. And I also then, you know, jumped to a show we did just a few weeks later in November, show 1660, where we talked to Ryan Demopoulos about WinUI 3, which was right. literally a guy inside of Microsoft leading a team that's saying, hey, this, you need to know which version of Windows 10 you're running to do UWP stuff. It's not good. So mm. let's pull the UI components out of the Windows deploy so that you can make it part of your app. 
And that, you know, that was alpha as of Ignite. So, it's early days. But, you know, it sort of ties together with what Bob was concerned about, about how we just didn't really talk about it. And and one of the reasons we didn't is I think it's completely in flux. That, you know, what you're going to do with it is, is changing. And I think for the better. To see the Windows team start to recognize that there's a separation between the cadence we want our OS at and the cadence we want our UX at. Mm. Those are two different things and they're starting to think that way. That uh, That is exciting to me. I think it's good news. Me too. So, Bob, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on any of the social media as well as just Facebook. If you comment on Facebook and we publish every show there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet uh, on the double. Accelerate that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no. I got nothing. <laughs> You know, you should probably, I should probably figure out my jokes before I hit the button. It takes all the fun out of it, really. I know, it does, really. I, I was thinking there was, a, there was a reference to a decorator pattern there somewhere, but, you know, that's just me. Ah, oh, decorator pattern. Go. That's a good one. I like that. <laughs> Send us your tweets. We include it in our decorator patterns. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, uh, Brian Lagunas is here. He's a Microsoft MVP, a Microsoft Patterns and Practices champion, leader of the Boise.net Developers User Group. A board member of the Boise Code Camp, speaker, trainer, and plural site author. He can be found speaking at a variety of developer events around the world, and his talks always involve some form of markup, XAML, HTML, as well as how to build well-architected applications with Prism. In his spare time, he authors courses for Pluralsight, blogs and live streams about various technologies, and manages the Prism library. The easiest way to find Brian is on Twitter at Brian Lagunas. And welcome back. Um, are you and Brian Noyes still doing the Prism thing? I'm doing the Prism thing. Uh, Brian Noyes, he, he uh, stepped back a few years ago, basically after the first announcement that he was on the team. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <great>. <laughs> the, the original blog post went out. Here's your new team, Brian Lagunas and Brian Noyes. And like just a week after that, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to have time for this. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, I know he is a busy guy. Yeah, yeah Very busy, very busy. But I, I consult with him every now and then for the really tough questions. Oh, that's cool. When he, and he's a great thinker around these sorts of problems. Oh, yeah. Sure and is. it's always good to, you know, we, the problem when you have a, a massive OSS project uh, that you maintain by yourself, you got to have, you know, someone to bounce ideas off of. And back then, he was that guy for me. Now, I mean, you're now the lead maintainer, but are you getting lots of contributions? Are there other folks uh, putting into Prism? Yeah, actually, uh, I, I will almost say a couple years now, uh, Dan Siegel, he stepped up from the community. Uh, you know, he just started by uh, submitting some issues, submitting some PRs. Uh, we started chatting uh, via, I think it was Skype originally, maybe Slack. Uh, and then he's like, he went all in, and now he is a core maintainer. It's, nice. it's me and him now. I love it when when committed people emerge like that. It's just a sign of a of a, a healthy community. Oh, it's it's awesome, and I cannot tell you, you know, with his help, how much faster and how much you know better Prism has gotten just because he joined the team. Nice, wow, a great compliment. That's so cool. Yeah, healthy projects, good things going on. So, what is going on with uh, with with Prism these days? Prism is still going strong and just sucking a lot of my time. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So, I, I think I added it up. Since Prism was on Nougat, uh, I forgot what year it actually hit on Nougat. I have to look that up. Decade uh, plus. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Across all packages, we've surpassed 8 million downloads. Okay. Whoa. Those are yeah. real numbers. And that's not including the old CodePlex days where you actually had to go download from CodePlex mm-hmm. and install the assemblies manually. Uh, this is NuGet downloads only across all packages. Eight, I think it was like 8.6 million. That's awesome. Yeah, so it, it's going strong and we're constantly improving it. Uh, our, our main platforms are WPF and Xamarin Forms right now. Right. And in, in you know, referencing to Bob's comment around UWP, does UWP play in the Prism space? No, we actually dropped support for UWP and hmm. removed all UWP code from the Prism code base. Hmm. And what prompted that? Well, there were a number of, of things that went into that decision. Uh, the main one being neither myself or Dan used UWP in our daily lives. Right. So... There's no real motivation for us to do it just because other people are asking for it. It's like it's still our time. It's still our project. And 
this is what we have time to work on and this is what we don't. Sure. Uh, and if somebody if somebody really wanted UWP support, they'd start supporting it themselves, right? They can exactly. Get on the project. And we put that out plenty of times. Mm-hmm. If someone wants to write it with our supervision, knock yourself out. And all these years, no one stepped up. Uh, another aspect to that is the UWP application model itself uh, is problematic. <laughs> all the way from file new. I mean, if you create a file new uh, UWP app today, the amount of code to show your first window is ridiculous, right? Hmm. And and you're talking about Prism here, like you guys and XAML, like you're not shy about code. So if that's upsetting you, wow. Yeah, <sighs> it says a lot. It ain't no VB6. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not actually. <laughs> and then there were just, uh, you know, back then when we made that decision, uh, the threading model made dependency injection nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, back then you had to open up a window and it's a separate thread. You lose, you lose everything. You'll have to marshal all your data back and forth, passing parameters. The entire navigation API just sucks. You're navigating to types. Right, you can't control the instances. You can't use DI to create those instances. I mean, I could go on and on and on about the limitations, technical limitations that prevented us. But mainly, we don't use it, and we have no motivation. Now, yeah. if a company wants to step up and pay us, hey, we might find some motivation to work on that. And, uh, and are you getting sponsorship for Prison? Like, I see the the sponsorship icon is there. Yes. Yeah, so, Dan and my stuff, we are getting some sponsors, which is great. Every little bit helps. You know, I think I'm up to like, you know, fifteen bucks a month now to GitHub sponsors, which is huh? awesome. It's like three lattes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends on what size you get. But yeah, is <laughs> that? Uh, but yeah, but you know what? It it might not be a lot, but it means a lot to us because it, it shows that people do care and they want to support the best they can if it's only a dollar a month you know what something is better than nothing it's still a commitment and it's a, exactly it's a, it's, a, it's a great gesture and it, and it makes you feel good about what you're doing that people care exactly yeah, i totally i t- totally get that so when we're talking about client side development in 2020 the, there's a lot of s- ways to do that right and the this whole web stuff and web assembly stuff is getting more and more um attractive because it's simple, it's being simplified, and things like Web Window that uh, Steve Sanderson has come up with is a great sort of uh, alternative to the to the big engines that you can use. Um, it, what do you think about all this stuff? Well, so all this web you've, stuff. You've got we've known each other for many, 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 many years, and mm-hmm. I've always yes. been a hardcore desktop guy, right? Uh, mm-hmm. However, these past couple of years i've actually been learning a lot about these other types of technologies i'm in angular i'm in react i'm in Vue. i'm in blazer i'm playing with web components like you know i'm a polygot now like i do everything uh, yeah. and so i've i've formed all my opinions based on where i came from coming from right. the desktop c sharp xaml wind forms coming from that you know area of application development into this new modern technologies, I guess you would call them. Uh, they're just JavaScript frameworks, honestly. But <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So my pers- everything I say, I have to say, this comes from a perspective of a desktop developer. Sure. So I have to put that out there right now because, like, when I talk about React, I can't stand React. I can't stand it. <laughs> but if you're a, a web developer and you started that way, you probably love it, right? So I just yeah. want to put that disclaimer down. Yeah. Desktop to web. That's where Richard and I came from too. I mean, you know, I started working on on DOS before Windows, yeah. right? But yeah, you're old. <laughs> I am old. Yeah. <laughs> but the the other aspect of this, of course, I'm throwing the IT out there, is the deployment story. So, you know, how do we what do you what is your current mechanism for deploying desktop software today? Like what makes you happy? Well, Back in the day, you had click once, which with an enterprise worked amazingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Except when it didn't. The, there's still desktop installers that allow you to have auto updates. You know, like what, what's an installer shield is one of them I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, I know that Microsoft has kind of gotten away from click once. And now they have their Mizzix uh, format that they use, which I'm actually quite pleased with. Uh, I know now you can also do the desktop bridge to get your WPF apps into the UWP store if you wanted to ship it that way. However, I see a lot of desktop apps are really more internal facing. So 
in my experience in the enterprise, we've never had issues deploying uh, because we've right. always controlled the environment. Right. I've I've never written a consumer based desktop app. Yeah, and I think that's tough business these days. Right. It's really a, a, a prudent observation that the enterprise never really used web development inside, nope. inside the nope. firewall, inside the building. Uh, and so, you know, that's why I think these, these technologies that don't touch JavaScript, for example, don't have the traditional web stack, are, uh, like, like Blazor WebAssembly, and even server-side for that matter, are, are more speaking to these enterprise developers now they're like hmm yeah maybe i could wrap my head around this stuff because it's it's a lot more like desktop development now with these technologies than than web development isn't it yeah and i would go as far to say that maybe blazer is the next iteration of silverlight because one of the things that made silverlight so popular and adopted so quickly is because you had these desktop devs that it made sense to them. They had all their state. They developed the same way. And look, they're in the web now. Uh, so now Blazor takes away that, that plug-in model when a web assembly, but you still, you're comfortable because you're in your C-sharp. I mean, HTML yeah. is just like XAML, right? It's just like XAML. Uh, you're, it's in a very comfortable position. So when you come from, say, XAML land or even WinForms into Blazor, you're, you already feel comfortable right away. I am going to disagree a- with you guys because I've certainly worked in organizations where all of the internal apps were web forms. Really? Yeah. Well, web forms also more like desktop programming. Yeah. But yeah. It, and exactly that. It comes down to the skills that they've got, right? Right. They, and when you're only dealing with internal networks with the occasional WAN connection and apps that only need to be so good, right? Like if it's the way you get paid, you're probably going to use that app. They, then these are quick ways to build software. And, and again, the big thing was and get rid of the deployment issue. Right. right, that new yeah. versions just exist, and you use them automatically next time you hit the site. I also want to address what you said there. You said the S word, Brian, Silverlight, and we need to disambiguate right away because you know people hear that word and recoil in fear that oh, is this <laughs> just the next Silverlight, and is it going to suffer the same fate as Silverlight did? And and I think we've made a pretty good case here on .NET Rocks over the years for you know helping people understand why silverlight is no longer with us and it really has nothing to do with how good the technology was it all had everything to do with apple and uh, steve jobs reluctance to support plugins on the most popularly growing platform iphone and ipad you know ios and people were like well uh, you know if it's not going to run on these things then we're not going to use it so, uh, you know, it does have that same feel, though, that you're just building these, you know, event handlers, and it's like the same stuff that we're used to with, with desktop. But without XAML. Yeah, without XAML and without, the, uh, and without all the, the headache of deployment. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a tough one. We always, you know, us, us developers, we, we love to try to uh, guess what's going to happen to technology. It, you know, it, does it die tomorrow? Oh, I haven't seen an update in two weeks. It must be dead. Right. Uh, right. I, personally, I get that a lot in Prism. I'll go on a two-week vacation. I'll come back, and all of a sudden, <laughs> I find out Prism's died again. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Prism is dead. Long live Prism. <laughs> it's only been two weeks. Give me a break. You know, I, I need some time off. Uh but yeah, I think we love to kill technologies prematurely. Uh, remember when WPF was dead when Silverlight came out? Sure. I remember that. Well, I right, also think sure. the, the in-house, you know, I think in some ways open source is safer from that behavior and response than internal projects. Because internal projects, if the company stops investing and just chooses not to tell you, you don't know for a long time. I mean, that's, you know, we talk about the real sin of Silverlight. It's that that announcement from Jobs, the, the thoughts on Flash was in April of 2010. And, you know, the, the famous Silverlight is Dead articles don't come out till the end of the year when they do the PDC conference and there's no mm. Silverlight sessions. You know, they, yeah. it, they never really did say anything. Although I just, well, pu- I pulled up the Silverlight site because it still exists and I'll include a link for now. And, uh, and it does say prepare for Silverlight 5 end of support October 2021. Now, would you be surprised if I told you I know of customers, big, huge enterprises that still use Silverlight out of browser? No, I'm not surprised at all. <laughs> no, really not. Because the 
the caliber of the technology didn't was not affected by any of this right Correct. like it was still it was and still is a great tech except for the fact that plugins are really a problem now like it's tough to make a plugin work you, you know obviously it's in enterprises because they're still using ie and you can make the plugin work in ie when you set the rules right so you can compare you can compare silverlight and blazer down the line in terms of you know they're it's a little um uses web assembly blazer does that and the uh, their goal is to get the initial download runtime to one and a half megabytes. Yeah. And right now it's at like two megabytes or something like that, or, or maybe just under a megabyte they want it. But, but, uh, the, yeah. it, it, all, but, but here's the fundamental difference is that it's running on open web standards that everybody, even Safari supports. And it that, isn't just true. about C sharp. It's, you know, go and, other languages that people know and love run in there. So, yeah, I, I think it's very, it's going to be a challenge for us going forward, getting people to get over that silverlight pain. Yeah, it's got a lot of stigma to it for sure. Sure does. You know, Microsoft has lost a lot of trust in the developer community. Uh, I mean, with the, we're talking about UWP and how, I mean, it really hasn't caught on. And no fluctuates a ton it's hard to write for uh you know i used to joke back in the early days of uwp the only people writing uwp apps are mvps and companies that have microsoft writing it for them right <laughs> that was that was kind of my joke and, and the question is was it a joke it, you know, you know the thing about jokes is jokes are only funny because they have they're based in truth right <laughs> <laughs> So now I think that might have changed a, a little bit, but I think it holds still mostly true. It, when I go to a shop, like, so I work at Infragistic, right? I don't know if I mentioned that before, mm -hmm. but we're a, you know, global leader in UI components and controls, and I interact with customers all over the world. None of them are writing UWP. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, having said that, I want to back up a little bit because we're talking about the, the, internal customer right these are my customers my customers write internal apps and we're talking about blazer and these javascript frameworks like angular and uh, react and all these other things but a lot of these companies are kind of tired of using those type of frameworks because client side javascript mm -hmm. are disabled yeah. based on their contracts like they may have contracts with the government with no javascript allowed hmm. can't do it right security uh which now, is, I seems don't madness to me, but okay. So, you know, Accenture came through, made you pay 150 grand for a, a 700 page document, and somewhere in there it says JavaScript bad. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I don't know the state of that or how that's going to impact anything. And it may not. And I'm, I'm not up to date on any of the newest changes or laws or contracts. Uh, this is probably six years ago when I did my last government contract. So, things could have changed since then, right? Lots happened since then. You would hope. It's still the government, though. <laughs> yeah, it's true. They move pretty slowly. Yeah. Well, you know, they say uh, big ships move slow. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as a desktop developer, one of the, the big things we had to worry about on these type of contracts was security. And so I think what scares the government and a lot of people and a lot of these companies, banks and financial institutions and oil and gas and all these industries is all their code is in the browser. Right. 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 These client side apps, all their code is there. How do they secure them? How do they prevent their own employees from being duped from, you know, being cross-site scripted or something like that? Uh, so I think they have some legitimate concerns. Uh, I'm not experienced enough in the web space to know how to mitigate those concerns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder if JavaScript is verboten, will WebAssembly also be verboten in these companies? That's a great question. Yeah. You're going to have to wait for the ex giant Accenture document for that. <laughs> And that's been, <laughs> well, plus it's such a moving target, right? Like WebAssembly is new and, and actually making coherent decisions around this is not a trivial problem. But right. sooner or later, somebody's going to figure out that using client-side uh, WebAssembly means installing a DLL. Granted, right. in, installing it in a, in a sandbox, but still installing a DLL. And, you know, if, if you've got, you know, 1990s security skill, you know, DLL bad. Yeah, DLL exactly. bad. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny. You bring up the DLL. Uh, it kind of reminded me of like DLL hell, right? Yes. And, and so as a desktop developer, 
I have access to the entire machine, all the RAM, all the memory I want. Mm -hmm. And even then, when you write that WPF app, you are very diligent about what assemblies and references you're adding to your project as you develop. Right. You're like, look at, okay, do I need that assembly? What is this? Where's it come from? Do and I care about it? What's the pressure on that? Is it just good discipline? Is it size? Like, why, what are you yeah. worried about? You're, for one, you got to know where the code comes from. Right. Can it be trusted? You know, that's, that's core number one. Two, yeah, size. You want to keep the size of your app down because I don't know if that just came from back in the day where computers were, you know, 512 megabytes of RAM was amazing. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh my God. Mm. And you can only use a portion of that. You know, that, that could be some of it. And maybe it's just, you know, carried with you as you go but even today desktop developers are like that they're mm -hmm. like i'm not adding a reference unless it's absolutely necessary but then i created my first angular app and i looked at that nodes modules folder and holy crap <laughs> yep yeah my mind was blown i think it was like i don't remember i think it was like 300 megabytes of javascript that i have no idea where it came from what's it do what calls it makes how secure it is who wrote it? Like nothing about it. Well, and, and a lot of those are defaults just on by, you know, make sure everything works for you. They want your new experience. The, you know, one of the reasons there's so many flipping files is that they want enough granularity that you can go through and turn stuff off. Yeah. I mean, on the flip side, it, it's all source code, right? You, you could go in there and figure out what it's doing as opposed to an executable that you download from somewhere that has, you know, millions of lines of code in it, maybe. And completely But opaque. you can't see it. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's a little bit worse, except that it's all in one place and you can allow all of it or none of it. Right. I don't know. I just, you know, as I learn more of the web, it's just, it seems more like willy nilly, like, oh yeah, I'll add this. Oh yeah, right. I'll add that. Yeah. No, I'll add this. Well, I and mean, they don't come from the same enterprise world where you're quite as sticky. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like my experience coming from desktop is probably different than most, if you just came up in web, it's nothing to you. Like, you don't yeah. even think, yeah. second guess it. If you came out in public web, I mean, I think there's plenty of corporate web folks that are pretty tight too, because you just, you learn about the consequences of footprint. Mm. Yes. Uh, I think, I think in that respect, they're somewhat similar, but it's still, you know, you can't argue with the power of the client too. Uh, I think it's pretty challenging to build a really great spa and a single page application that just looks like an app in web technology. And it's the default for client side development. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, but I am, I mean, I am liking the web-based client-side model. I mean, mm -hmm. it's I, I've done a lot of really cool stuff in it, and I'm just a beginner. I could just imagine what someone who has a lot of experience can do. Sure, no, no question. What, a, what about the uh, sort of guidance side? Is this really where Prism comes into play? About, you know, I a lot of folks complain in WPF. It's just like, well, what should my app look like? At least with WinForms, I was told file goes here and help goes there and a menu bar is here. And like you had a set of rules that were hard to resist about how your app should look. WPF never seemed to have that. Right. And that's exactly the gap that Prism filled. Right. Was so there's a lot of confusion about Prism. And, you know, Prism has always had this this reputation for like being this really heavy framework and well that's where it came from yeah but my question to that is i, I always want to understand the mindset and how that that thought was created so i asked okay what do you mean you mean like assembly size is it big an assembly size you know because it's not it's only like you know 30 something megabyte or uh kilobyte large like right. it depends on the assembly like what are you talking about is it the concepts Right. Mm. So the thing about Prism it is it's always been about guidance. It's exactly which what you were saying. It was, okay, how did you do this in WPF? Right? Here's a structure. How can I be successful? And Prism was just a set of guidance using patterns and practices that people should have been using anyways. Patterns MVVM is one of them, right? Uh, MVC is another pattern you could use. Uh, MVP was another pattern you can use. And what Prism did was lay that blueprint down to help you be successful using those patterns, whichever you chose. Event aggregation, how do you communicate between different elements of your application? Modularity, how do you dynamically load features and things like that into your application? Mm. Uh, so it has all these concepts that just kind of bundled it up and made it really easy. And so when you look at JavaScript, I think that's where Angular comes in. You know, frameworks like Angular and React and Vue. These are the same thing. Yeah. And, and if you look at Angular and you could Prism, you're going to go, oh my God, that's really close. Hmm. Ang Angular has modules. Prism has modules. Right. Yeah, Angular and Prism have dependency injection. Yes, both of them do. Uh, it's, they have data binding, right? 
there's some sports data binding. You have all these, like, a lot of the concepts are very similar. And that's one of the reasons when I, when I talk to people, I talk to companies and I'm asking, you know, what, what client side framework should we move to if we're going to the web? I ask, well, are you desktop developers? What do you use? WPF, MVVM, Prism? What skill set do you have? Well, that maps really well to Angular. I look at Angular as the Prism for web. Right. So, That's so people ask me, are you going to have a Prism for web? No, there's already plenty of frameworks out there that do it. Navigation. That's another big one. Yeah. Prism solves navigation in WPF. Right. Angular has routing that solves navigation in, in web. Right. And how well does your work in Prism on the WPF stuff map to the Xamarin stuff? Like, in, you know, everybody has that same problem where it's like, hey, I like this app on my desktop machine. Can you get it on my phone, please? Yeah. 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 That's another good thing about Prism is we've actually been aligning the APIs over the past couple of years to where you can move seamlessly between WPF and Xamarin Forms if you're a Prism user and the experience will be the same. Right. Right, you'll have your base application. You'll have the same methods to override. Right, you'll have uh, a similar navigation pattern. Okay, you'll be able to pass parameters using a similar interface. Uh, all these types of things, showing dialogues. So there's elements of the UI, the architectural parts of the UI that are going to be the same, but the the visualizers obviously need to be different. Exactly, and that's hey, one thing. Like guys, if you could just hold that thought for one minute, I want to talk more about Xamarin and Prism too. But we have to pause for this brief but very important message. Oh, and one more thing. My next one-day online Blazor workshop will be Monday, February 24th. Did you like .NET Conf, but you find yourself wanting some personal guidance as you write that killer Blazor app? Well, let me personally walk you through building a real-world PWA app in Blazor, complete with EF Core, API controllers, generic reusable components, SignalR for real-time collaboration, ASP.NET Core Identity for authentication and authorization, JavaScript, Interop, and user management, all using Visual Studio 2019 and .NET Core 3.1. And if you can't make it February 24th, you can download the screen video from a previous workshop and the materials, which will guide you step-by-step -step with screen captures and code that you can just cut and paste. What are you waiting for? Go to blazer.appvnext.com to register for the workshop or just the materials. All right, and we're back. Stotnet rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's my friend Richard Campbell, and uh, that's my other friend Brian Lagunas. And um, we're talking about client side development in 2020. We went around the world with Blazor a little bit and all the web networks and enterprise stuff, and back to Prism, back to desktop, and now talking about mobile in Xamarin, and uh, I, I, I cut you off mid-sentence there, so I want you to uh, finish that thought, and then I want to talk about Xamarin in general and the state of it. So Yeah, so... So you were talking about Prism uh, and making the Xamarin experience easier. Right, so Prism exists to make development easier. That's all it's for. It, it takes these patterns and practices, and it, it bundles it up and guidance to help you down a path to be successful. Now, it doesn't mean you can't write crack code and, you, you know, you're going to have a horrible app. Uh, but it's going to be harder because Prism really tries to guide you down the specific path. And so Prism has nothing to do with the, the UI. It has nothing to do with the, the data binding mechanisms that ship with the framework. It, I mean, it doesn't really touch all that. What it does, it allows you to, to hook that stuff up. It allows you to hook up your MVVM. Now you can navigate within a view model. Uh, now you can call commands that observe properties for, for value changes automatically. Uh, right? It's all about making the developer's job easier. We, we ship... Uh, Template pack. The uh, we we have Visual Studio extensions, and so if you install like the Prism template pack, for example, uh, we have project templates and item templates and code snippets to to speed up your development, make you more productive. Uh, if anyone's ever heard of App Map, I don't know if you guys have seen an App Map. Nope. But essentially, what App Map is, it is a Visual Studio extension that allows you to create a new Xamarin Forms project. And when you say file new App Map you'll get a UI that looks like Visio. And so you'll be dragging page type from your toolbox onto your design surface, you know, using connections to tell AppMap how the navigation flow works, and then you hit generate. And then it generates all your views, all your view models, and all the navigation code to make the app work just like you basically drag and designed it on that Visio type design surface. 
Now, that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It, and it's just, freely available. It's, it's on the marketplace. Just search for uh, Infragistics app map and install it and you can use it today. It's completely free. So it is an Infragistics product, but it's free. Completely free. And it doesn't use any of our, any of Infragistics Xamarin Forms controls. It is pure Xamarin and Prism. Nice. Nice. And, and again, you get back to this idea of, I just want to make the app work. Like, I don't really, you know, we're, we're down to some pretty core metaphors about how we want a UI to work and so forth. Like, how can I take as little additional code and get there? Does Xamarin Forms help in this? Well, Xamarin Forms, they have their own file new, uh, you know, experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not pattern-based. It's not, you know, really going to help you succeed. It's not going to point you down a path to success. It's the old school code behind model that they, they show you and they show off. And that there's nothing wrong with that. It's very high performing. Uh, a lot of people understand the code behind model better than trying to introduce some type of abstractions, like some type of pattern, like MVVM, event aggregation, commanding, things like that. They might not want to touch that stuff. And that's where Xamarin will work just fine. Well, that said, if you know those patterns and you know MVVM, and you come approach Xamarin Forms, that's, you, it's easily done if you know what you're doing and you have some basic tools, right? Exactly. I mean, it, the, yes. Somebody who knows MVVM isn't going to have a hard time. Like Xamarin Forms isn't going to prevent them from doing it. Exactly. Xamarin Forms has the same data binding mechanism as like WPF, right? It's, right. it's very nice to use. And as long as you set the binding context to an instance of some object, that's what you're going to data bind against. It's, it's that simple. And one of yeah. the things that really confused people about MVVM is they, they bring in all these other concepts with MVVM that makes it hard to understand. But if you break it down to what it really is, it, MVVM is not all the commanding and event aggregation and all the dependency injection and all the bindings and all this crazy stuff. It's a very simple design pattern where you separate the state of your view into a testable object. That's it. Yeah. Now, because think about it, even if you don't use MVVM, you still have to figure out commanding, right? Click event handlers. Mm -hmm. You still have to figure out messaging, how you're communicating between different screens in your app. Like you still have to solve those problems. Navigation, you still have to solve these problems, regardless if you use MVVM or not. So all that mess that makes up app development is not included in MVVM. MVVM is very, very simple. Mm -hmm. Do you? View model, model. That's it. Boom, you're done. That's MVVM. <laughs> yep. Right. Well, and how many of us were introduced to MVVM in the Silverlight era? Like that's that's where <laughs> yeah. we really that pattern came to life. Yeah, uh, Silverlight WPF. I think it was. I'm trying to. It's been so many years. Mm -hmm. John John Gossman, maybe. Yeah. Is that his name? Yep, John Gossman. Yeah, he was the uh, the father of MVVM. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, you can probably thank Steve Sanderson for a lot of that uh, coming to the web. You know, with uh, he had, I think, I think Knockout was one of the first uh, binding uh, libraries, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Knockout JS. I remember that. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's another Sanderson thing. Yeah, wow, well, look at that. I found John Gossman's original blog post from October of 2005. Wow. Dang. Yeah, I, I interviewed Mr. Gossman for the history.net as well. And by the That's way, awesome. only smarter. Like, Wow. We, we were so used to dealing with smart people around Microsoft and so forth, but I spent, I got two or three hours sitting with John, drinking tea and talking. Just insanely brilliant. And, there, and here we are. Like This is literally introducing MVVM pattern for WPF apps. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. I'll include a link if anybody wants to read this 15-year-old you know, or almost 15-year-old <laughs> kind of like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. If you want to feel old, follow that link. Yeah, there you go. Well, and just brilliant people. Yeah. So let me get back to this uh, state of Xamarin and Xamarin Forms and all that stuff. I, I kind of got frustrated with it uh, in the last year or so because every time I went to create a new Greenfield application, uh, it didn't work. Like, you know, there, there was just something missing or some SDK problem or, or whatever. And the, the error, ha the error messages was, were, were no help. So I, I, what's the experience out of the box now these days for Xamarin? Well, you know, what's funny is my experience 
for Xamarin is good because I use the Prism template pack. I create, <laughs> I create all my projects using my project templates that work. <laughs> uh. Uh, but I will say the experience is probably not optimal for a file new, getting your environment set up. Because, okay, so I'm on a new computer right now. I just got this new computer not long ago, just before Christmas. I'm still trying to get my environment set up. And so when I installed Xamarin uh, to fire it up for the first time, it didn't work. And to this day, I still can't get the emulator to work right. So I use a real device. And then mm. I use something called Visor to actually project my real device onto my screen for my presentations. Interesting. It's to this, I still can't get it to work. Uh, and I'm just doing Android. I'm not even trying to connect to a Windows machine, run an uh, iOS emulator. It's, it's not that great right now. I know they're working on it. They're working hard to improve it. Uh, but I, I don't know. I guess if I were on the team, I would focus efforts elsewhere. More yeah. on stability, bug fixes, uh, things like that. In the past couple of years, I've, I've myself been kind of discouraged and, and Xamarin and, and the direction, if they even have a direction. Uh, there's always some Nougatizer 3000, some Apple Pineapple Pin Baby Shark stuff they're doing. Uh, <laughs> wow. Oh, so I'm not joking. That is the <laughs> legit name for these projects they're working on. Like le legitimate, oh. I, you should Google that or Bing it or whatever you want to use. I think it was Apple pine Pineapple Apple Pen or whatever it's called, and Baby Shark and Nukatizer Three Thousand and all these little like just projects, these little fun things to work on without focusing on what's important. You know, stability in, in the platform. Mm. Uh, they added CSS. Because I mean, come on, CSS to Xamarin. Like, was that super important? I have a, I have two bugs dating back three years. And these are pretty critical bugs. Like, for example, did you know in, if you write a Xamarin Forms app today and use a tabbed control, right? And you have more than, I think it's four or five tabs. On iOS, you know how you get that drop down for more tabs? Mm -hmm. If you select that drop down to pick one of your other tabs, you do not get any notifications such as the tab.current page is null. Like you don't know, you don't have access to that page in Xamarin Forms via the API. Like it's it's dead. It's a dead page. Wow. Like it's ridiculous. Like it's it's a legitimate critical bug. Uh, but they put it up for grabs because it's OSS. Like, no, this is not up for grabs. This is core to iOS. Like you have to support the more tabs feature with tab changing events need to fire and your current page needs to be set to your current page. Right. You know, it's just things like that. And that's back to 2017, I think is when I submitted that. Uh, and then they came out with shell and shell. Oh my gosh. Shell is just another facade over what's already difficult. You know, one of the hard things about Xamarin is navigation. It's very complicated. Navigation mm -hmm. Uh, and Xamarin has two different stacks. Each page has its own stack. You have a modal stack and a non-modal stack, and each page can push differently. And if you're nested in pages, you might have a master detail page where the detail is a navigation page. It has a, a tab page inside of it, which has another content page inside of it. Which page are you navigating from? Right? It gets really complicated. And so they came out with Shell. And Shell, I think, this hasn't been told to me, but my personal opinion is this is their answer to Flutter. Right? You guys know Flutter? Yeah. Flutter is super simple. Like, I've been playing with Flutter. I really like Flutter. It's really easy. It's super fast. Hmm. Uh, and so I think Shell was the answer to Flutter. And Shell tried to take a little bit of Prism from it with the, you can now navigate using route, right? Because Prism always uses URI based navigation. And so they're taking that URI based navigation scheme and embedding it in there. Uh, but it's still, it, it's not, there right and it's another concept that they just added it's another barrier to entry because when when someone goes to create a new xamarin forms app like, oh wait a minute should i use shell or should i use the old school way is shell the new school like is the old navigation going away or should i use this new thing like it's it's really confusing so shell is sort of a um a xamarin forms package that has some opinions about uh navigation and uh, transitions and all that stuff. What is it exactly? 
Exactly. They're, they're trying to they're trying to make it really simple, right? That's the goal. Is they're trying to make adoption of Xamarin, getting started with Xamarin, easier. Uh, but I think they just muddied the waters more. Hmm. Yeah, and, and part of this is just feeling around for what do customers want, what helps them, one way or the other. Hmm. E- exactly. And so, right as of today, Prism does not support Shell because there's not enough hooks in there for us to actually do anything. Now, Dan, uh, he's the other maintainer on and Prism. He's working with the Xamarin team to to try to figure out what we can do to support that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's just too limiting right now. So until that happens, Prism's not going to support Shell. Uh, working on it, uh, but as of today, it, it, we don't support it. Are you getting requests mm-hmm. for it? We're not getting a ton of requests for right. it, honestly. Uh, Dan, bless his heart, he loves to try to add every feature you can add. Right. Uh, you know, he just wants to make it the best. It does everything, and so. I'm the guy who's been in Prism since the beginning, and I'm like, I say no a lot. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, he gets because my my view is just because it can doesn't mean you should. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, you well, know, I also think you get into this battle of the the ultra flexible framework that's got too much stuff in it, and you don't know which way to go, and the really opinionated framework that says this is the way. Exactly. And and one of these concepts we're kind of battling over right now is regions. Mm-hmm. So in WPF. Regions is how you navigate. It is core navigation. That's the only way. But in Xamarin, Xamarin has its own navigation platform that we that we uh, take advantage of. And so Dan wants to add region support. I'm like, in the very, very beginning, like, no, no, it doesn't need region support. He says, but I might want a partial view and to navigate in this little area of my mobile app. I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, that's just asking for trouble. Opens a can of worms. It's confusing. And so eventually he kind of talked me into it, but I said, make it a separate package. It's not right. shipping with Prism. It's going to be a separate package. So if people want it, they'll have to actually add it themselves and opt in to those assemblies. But that's not the only way to do that. Right? That's just, it seems like another way. There are other ways to navigate than that particular approach. Right. And so what I don't like doing is adding multiple ways to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's really confusing. And it adds to that mindset of, oh, that's a big framework. Oh, yeah. that's, that's big. That's hard. Because you increase that barrier to entry, right? That, that uh, what's the word I'm looking for? That uh, the amount of knowledge you have to have to be successful. The, the, this, uh, you know, this slope of climbing, right? The number yes. of things you need to know. And so I, I don't like adding multiple ways to do the same thing. And so when you already have navigation inside, I mean, that is core to Xamarin Forms, navigation. It's core to it. And we utilize this and it works perfectly. But now we want to introduce another way to navigate, but just a portion of your of your view, not the whole page, just like in this little section. Right. And, and so I have to like ask myself questions like, okay, what is the, the use case of this? Like how often would you really need to do this? You know, is this like, yeah, 75% of everybody needs to do this? Or is it like, yeah, you might have 5% of people that need this, but these are for like really advanced applications. Well, and I'm uh, worried that some of these are just checklist items, right? That nobody's actually going to do this, but it's nice that it's there kind of thing. Yeah, and, yeah, And exactly. that's not a good feature either. Because then it's the other question of what quality of it. You know, there's another way to do Xamarin Forms, which is uh, Blazor, because they just announced oh! on the 14th of January these experimental mobile Blazor bindings. Yes. Yeah. So this is kind of cool. And they talked about this at .NET Conf also. I'll just read from the post. The new experimental project to enable native mobile app development with Blazor. These bindings enable developers to build native mobile apps using C-Sharp and .NET for iOS and Android using familiar web programming patterns. This means you can use the Blazor programming model in Razor syntax to define UI components and behaviors of an application. The UI components that are included are based on Xamarin Forms native UI controls, which results in beautiful native mobile apps. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting, and I think it's going to add more fuel to the confusion fire. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I mean, okay, for somebody who's use? a C sharp developer and who's a uh, you know and who's doing Blazor stuff already, um, you know, it it it's the component model that Blazor uh, expresses, and not the component model that Xamarin expresses, except for those um, UI elements like stack layout, label, all of those. We're not going to know what those, they're not going to know what those are. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Uh, I mean, time will tell. I, 
this goes right. back to adding the you know multiple ways to do the same thing like sure i i remember <clears throat> i remember when uwp tried to do the same thing remember when you had the winrtc sharp or the winrtjs oh yeah they tried to take the same approach oh look yeah you can write uwp apps in c sharp or if you're a web developer you can write it in javascript right yeah yeah but it, yeah, that, but it, that lasted how long? Well, didn't make it out of version one. Uh, exactly. Well, and just WinJS, I mean, if you looked at it, it, if you're a JavaScript programmer, you look at WinJS, you're like, what is this? <laughs> it was just so, I'm not saying it didn't work. It just was not familiar in any way. Yeah. So I'm just, I don't know. I think it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm a tech guy. I, I like, oh, that's cool. Well, this might be in next year's. Uh, uh, state of client side development podcast with you because <laughs> it is new, right? You know, we might yeah, we'll new. know more like, about it at the end of the year, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah you got to play with it. Like, I'm a reserve judgment, right? I go, okay, I'm gonna go wait, let's see what happens. I'm gonna play with it, I'll see what I like about it. Like, it might be yeah. awesome. I may say, you know what, this is the way I'm not using native Xamarin forms anymore. Like, you never know. Well, and Elion says experimental right in the name, right? Like, they yeah. are, yeah. it does feel like we're still in a place where we're sort of. They're chucking stuff at the wall and seeing which of us like it, like what sticks for us. But they also seem to be targeting different markets. Like those mobile bindings are clearly for web developers who want to do mobile stuff. You know, they're embracing Blazor and now they want to, you know, use what they, it's kind of like, you know, the JavaScript mobile frameworks, you mm -hmm. know, React Native, that kind of stuff, except for the web developers that are using C Sharp now. So it's really early. To the party, I think. So, so let me ask you this: What what do you think? So are they targeting the old school ASP.NET developers trying to write mobile apps? Well, I think that's the idea, but I think that their first thing is to get ASP.NET web form developers writing Blazor, right? There's still web developers, but now you know no no JavaScript, all that stuff, and they have a a programming model that works for them. Okay, now you want to do a mobile version of that? Use the mobile bindings. Now you only yeah. have to learn some new, you know, faux HTML elements. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm seeing right now is these companies making the decision, okay, we're moving off desktop, the future's the web. Uh, we're going to go, they're picking Angular, they're picking React, they're sure. picking Vue, they're picking everything, not Microsoft. Yeah. Right. And so that is the, the direction enterprises are going right now. And so maybe, you know, with Blazor, they're trying to say, oh, wait, don't go to these other frameworks. We have a framework now. You can just move to this one. I tell you what, man, I, you know, as coming like you coming from a desktop development environment, I have never been more productive than I am with Blazor ever on the web, like even with web forms. Wow. That says a lot. It really is. I mean, it's amazing. You know, you learn a few things and now I just feel I can fly, you know? Yeah. So I, I did, uh, so I do a little bit of live streaming on Twitch. And I did some uh, some streams on Blazor, and I really liked what I was seeing uh, with Blazor. I actually got during the live stream, I got the Prism Event Aggregator working in Blazor with no code changes. I just just compiled it. It was awesome. I just added the NuGet package, and it just worked. Wow, it was awesome. Yeah, there's a reason there's so much energy around Blazor, but uh, it, and it is interesting just to think in terms of of where this is going to go. They've now made it committed at least to the server side product and we're still waiting for the finals on the client side project, but there's yep. a lot, you know, for a guy like Elion, who's, you know, that's one of the original architects for MVC. Like he is mm. one of the best thinkers of web development at Microsoft for him to, to put his name to something like that. Just sort of speaks to the brains that are focused on what blazer can do for us. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now I'm a little I'm a little concerned about the server side blazer personally. You know, like I said, I'm not extremely experienced on the website. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning a lot. Uh, but you know, since you're sending everything via Signal R communication back and forth between the client and the server, I can definitely see some performance issues with that. Sure. Um, I would be scared about that with a lot of different users. Yeah, that it, it all depends on memory. Memory is the biggest constraint. I, I have a lot of experience with this as much as anybody probably at this point, but the, there are ways that you can, you know, because SignalR can only handle so many concurrent connections, but if you have, um, uh, if you're using the right 
server in Azure, let's say, and you upgrade to use the Azure SignalR service, you know, you can have 20,000 concurrent users, 100,000 concurrent users. It's all doable. And, and in terms of performance, I, I think it's actually very efficient. I, I put a, a, a scope on there, you know, software scope, basically just so that I could log the traffic going back and forth. And I actually wrote a blog post about this, which I'll include in the show notes. That it, the, the conversation going back and forth on SignalR is actually very efficient. It's very, it's very small. Hmm. Well, that's good to know. But memory pressure is the thing you really have to worry about. You know, if you're just on a regular website uh, in Azure, let's say, a regular web app, and you're pulling up 10,000 records and sending that to every client, you know, first of all, don't do that ever. Don't, I don't care <laughs> yeah. where you are. Like, you know, search, filter, all of that stuff. But if you, you know, you're keeping 100 records in memory, even 1,000 records for, for something, uh, you know, that's okay. But then you have controls from, you know, DevExpress, Infragistics, Telerik, all these guys. They're, they're grids and they're, uh, you know, data display things and graphs. They're all, they're all virtual. So you're only seeing, you're only pulling down what one page can show at a time anyway. So just with some good common sense about keeping stuff in state, and you can also move state completely out of Blazor and put it in a service. So uh, there's ways to do it. But yeah, it does take a little bit of education because these are different problems than we're used to, right. um, especially you know in the MVC world. Yeah, and, so th and those were some of my concerns. So yeah, I'll have to definitely study up uh, on those to fully understand the benefits and what you need to do to, to get optimal performance out of that. But I'm really waiting for the client side uh, model of Blazor to come out. I can't wait for that. Absolutely, I agree. I've been uh, playing with that myself, and that is really, really exciting to me. Uh, and especially with gRPC now available and in the mix for Blazor, um, man, it's just it's rock and sweet. Well, I think that's a show. Rock and sweet. I think so too. Already? Yeah, hey. just like that. You know. Happens. <laughs> what's what's next for you, Brian? What do you what are you going to be doing in the next uh, m weeks and months to come? Well, actually, I am extremely busy. Uh, so I've recently uh, last year I started my YouTube channel, uh, YouTube.com/slash Brian Lagunas. Uh, I'm really focused on getting more engagement there. I'm doing a lot of videos, uh, instructional videos of various technologies. Like for example, I have a desktop to web series I'm working on on converting WPF skills to Angular skills. I'm still working on that. Uh, I archive all my streams there, so if they don't catch me uh, live on Twitch, I always back them up on YouTube for viewing later. Uh, I do, I'm do. i starting a new Ask Brian series because I get a ton of questions from customers and people in the community. I'm like, you know what? Instead of just answering them individually, I'm going to write a blog post, do a video, and just share it with everyone. Like I'm going to optimize my time as much as possible. Uh, another thing I'm doing is... so. My company, Infragistics, we actually just released a brand new product called Reveal, and it's all about data analytics and embedding data analytics in your native applications, such as WPF, right? Uh, so I'm actually doing a speaking tour, a Reveal tour over like, I, we're up to like 14 cities now this year. Nice. Uh, so I'll be traveling all year speaking about data analytics. Nice. Yeah, very cool. Where's the website for that? Uh, off the top of my head, I think it's Reveal BI. .io. Awesome. Hey, Brian, thanks for checking in with us. It's been, uh, it's been great talking to you as always, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about in the coming year. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always have a good time, and I will see you guys at the next event. You got it. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. 
And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a...